0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Plan Fearless fear less. Diabetes
2: Late Night. Well, I guess I would the night.
1: of February's Diabetes Late Night and thank you for tuning in to our unique blend of diabetes empowerment great music, fun games and prizes all to help encourage you to live your best diabetes life I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm honored to be participating tonight in the Diabetes Podcast Week. We're raising awareness for the Spare Rose Save a Child campaign. I'll be sharing more about that with you later and how you could help a child living with diabetes in a less-resourced country throughout the next hour. Tonight, our musical inspiration is one of my favorite pop stars, George Michael. He's inspiring us to talk about loving ourselves and loving our diabetes health. From the foods we love with the de- decadent diabetic and the fashions we love with rich and love fashion blogger Doris Hobbs to the words we love to express our feelings with poet Lorraine Brooks and the divas we love with a special diabetic tribute to Mary Tyler Moore at the end of the podcast. It's all part of my first ever Valentine's Day spectacular. I'm throwing a party and you're invited. Plus, I've got the Charlie's Angels of Outreach here to educate us about heart health, and I'll be giving away fabulous Divabetic prize package, courtesy of Cabot Cheese, New Naturals, Dr. Greenfields, in our Instant Winner Challenge. Now, take a minute and follow me on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and donate to divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. I'm going to kick off the party with our musical inspiration George Michael. Unfortunately, he died this past Christmas due to heart failure, and many of his songs describe the feeling of love, including his 1984 hit single Careless Whisper. The success of that song surprised even George Michael himself, who told People magazine, "I wrote Careless Whisper when I was 17 and I didn't know much about anything, certainly nothing about relationships." Let's take a listen. I'm
2: never gonna-
1: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm asking you to support the Spare a Rose Save a Child campaign tonight as part of Diabetes Podcast Week. This wonderful cause encourages people to take a typical dozen roses, so popular on Valentine's Day, and donate the value of one rose to help save the child the life of a child living with type one diabetes in a developing country. The International Diabetes uh, Federation estimates that there are now more than 500 children under 15 with type 1 diabetes. Lack of access to insulin remains a common cause of death in children with diabetes. Make your donation tonight while we're podcasting by visiting the International Diabetes Federation website at IDF.org. And special thanks to Stacy Simmons for spearheading the Diabetes Podcast Week. Straight ahead, it's time to welcome my very first guest to the party, poet Lorraine Brooks. Hello, Lorraine.
3: Hi, Max. How are you?
1: I'm great, and thank you for going red and wearing that beautiful crimson satin blouse. It looks spectacular on you tonight.
3: Well, you know, um, I I hate to say this, and I don't usually reveal myself, but I'm also wearing a heart-shaped bikini underneath. (laughs)
1: One day we're going to do video and all our (laughs) listeners could enjoy that view That would be spectacular
3: Well, I I agree It's too um, bad you don't have it today
1: (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but after Christmas, Valentine happens to be the most celebrated day of the year in the United States I'm wondering, how much do you know about Valentine's Day?
3: Not much at all I really well, don't. Um, I, I know that it's then a, I've got a
1: couple questions for you because you know I okay. love to play games. This is my party. Um, the state of California produces sixty percent of American roses, but where do you think we get most of the roses sold in the U.S.? Do they come from Asia, South America, or Europe?
3: Hmm. Well, if they were tulips, I would say Europe, but I'm going to shoot for South America.
1: Is that your final answer?
3: That's my final answer.
1: Hey! All right. (laughs) And what percentage of American women do you think send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day? Is it 50%, 25%, or 15%?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. The
1: percentage of women, American women, who send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day.
3: I'm going to say 15, one five.
1: Right again, uh, and I, I wanted think more, to more people share that with that, people because tonight, because tonight I asked you to talk a little bit about um, celebrating uh, Valentine's Day by really celebrating self love. And I'm just curious because you've been living with diabetes for quite a while. Uh, what was your journey like about accepting your diabetes and and, and self love?
3: Wow. Uh, well, I, I've been living with diabetes for almost 35 years. And um, I have to say, you know, it hasn't been a success-only journey, as they say. There, there, there are setbacks. Um, some days I feel okay and other days I don't. Some days um, I'm actually um, almost grateful that I have something that I have to take care of because it forces me to take care of myself. So it's been a journey, you know, um, not without um, difficulty. But I think at the end of the day, um, it's, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's okay because I'm not sure that's the right word. But it's, um, it's something that I accept about myself. It's just part of me. It doesn't make me who I am, and it doesn't make me any better or worse a person. It's just part of the thing that makes me me. And uh, that's that's how I have to look at it, you know, um, and I tell people that all the time who are newly diagnosed, and it's not the end of the world. It's just a thing that you have to deal with, just like you have to deal with so many other things in life. And so, it. but it took me a while to get there. I'm not, you know, that didn't happen overnight, in all honesty. It, it took me a few years to get there, but um, um, today, thank goodness I'm okay, and I'm okay with with whatever it means, you know. I I I think you know this about me. I just recently turned 65, so now I have Medicare as my primary insurance, and it's been um very interesting finding out what they will cover for people with diabetes and what they will not cover. And there are a lot of <clears throat> ins and outs and loopholes and misinformation, and so it's been a little frustrating for me for the last couple of months to figure out, you know, who I get my Testing strips from and who I get my pump supplies from and who I get my medication from and so um, it's been a challenge. How has the it last changed?
2: Because months. a
1: lot of people are struggling with that too. A lot of our listeners are are sixty five yeah. or older. I'm curious, like how how has that changed your your self care? Well, first of all, news? I have to.
3: St- I have to say that I can't even believe I'm 65. That's the first thing I have to say. So so once I got that in my head and I really accepted that, um, it's changed because the Medicare laws, um, uh, they just don't cover certain things. For example, uh, I use a CGM system, a continuous glucose monitoring system, and, and when I turned 65, Medicare became my primary health insurance, and they do not pay for continuous glucose monitoring. So uh, for the last two months, I've been trying to negotiate that system and find out what needs to be said or what you know forms need to be filled out. I'm a type 1, so I think that that seemingly should make a difference, but somehow um, it, it doesn't seem to. Also, they don't cover uh, testing strips for certain types of meters. So the meter that I was using, um, the company that I'm working with does not – Uh, does not cover that particular meter, so they're sending me a new meter. So it's a lot of different adjustments, and it's not really clear why it is the way it is, but it's very frustrating.
1: It has to be. Well, you Mm. know, keep us posted, too, as we go through the year, because I think that's an important conversation for our listeners to to share with our listeners, and I always appreciate your candidness.
3: Um, Well, thank you. I have
1: one more question for you about Valentine's Day before you read your poem. Are you ready?
3: Okay. Yes, I am. Today we
1: associate love with the heart. I'm laughing because I think this is hysterical. But that wasn't always the case, Lorraine. No, 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 no. In medieval times, (laughs) which internal organ was believed to cause love? Today we associate love with the heart, but it wasn't always the case. In medieval times, which internal organ was believed to cause love?
3: Oh, boy. Um... Internal organ. Uh, <laughs> the spleen.
1: <laughs> it's the liver.
2: I was going to say the liver. I liver couldn't believe that way. that could possibly
1: liver. be true. <laughs> yeah, the I'm going to send you a card with a liver, with a liver shape on it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, Valentine's is a week away. People are not going to give roses because they're going to donate to uh, Spare a Rose, Save a Child. So maybe they want to get a card with a liver on it. Just I'm going to get a liver, I'm, I'm telling you. you. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, now please share your poem with us tonight that you wrote for Diabetes
2: Late Night.
3: Well, Max, I, I thank you again for giving me the topic of this poem because, um, as usual, it's not something that I probably would have written by myself. But when you gave me the topic about self-love and I started thinking about what that really means and, you know, examining um, how I feel about myself and how I hear other women feeling about themselves, um, it it was really quite nice to write. The name of my poem is called Love to Me. Can I return my love to me with stems of flowers by the sea or maybe with a beating heart that says our paths must never part I think my love can never say the feelings I felt yesterday, and so I focus here and now and try to love me anyhow. My hair, my eyes, my brows, my cheeks, the pound I lost that took me weeks, my nose, my mouth, my chin, my neck, the weight that I must keep in check, impatience at the world I see and people who look down on me, I love myself in spite of that, in spite of what I'm looking at. I compliment my mirrored face, the age that fills my eyes with grace. The lines have formed around my smile. I've loved them now for quite a while. My body is another story, but still I love it in its glory. But that's a little harder task. Acceptance there is all I ask. I love myself enough to do the things that help me follow through. I tell myself I'm good enough. In fact, I think I'm quite hot stuff. I'm happy I can look at me and satisfied with what I see. So please make friends with what you've got. Don't make yourself an afterthought. Be kind, be loving, and embrace your body, thoughts, and lovely face.
1: I love that poem, Lorraine, and you said to me, Max, you love everything I do, but I, I really do. I, I think I uh, really expressed it tonight, and I'm, I'm grateful for you to do that because I know, you know, we talk to so many people on this podcast who have been living with diabetes for 40 years like you or 50 years like our guest later on the show, or they might have been newly diagnosed, and uh, that loving yourself is all part of the acceptance. I think it's so important to share that.
3: Yeah, you have to. You have to get to a point where you put yourself first and you put your well-being first, and um, that's a good thing to do.
1: Well, I want you to help me put our listeners first because we have a Instant Winner Challenge going on tonight. You need to pick a number from 1 to 100. That's as many people who participated in the Instant Winner Challenge.
3: 49.
1: 49, and our Instant Winner could be tonight... <laughs> Renee Miller, if you're listening, you could be our instant winner. Later on the show, Lorraine, I hope you stick around because I want you to play the instant winner challenge. I'm going to tell you what the, the question is now that we asked everyone, and then we'll get your answer. If you get it right, then Renee Miller will win tonight. Um, oh, but you got to stick around to do it. How many times does the heart beat in a lifetime? Is it 2.5 million, 2.5 billion, or 2.5 trillion? Lorraine, don't give us your answer while you're thinking about that. We're going to Come back to you a little bit later on in the show. Uh, I have to tell you one thing before I let you go and play another George Michael song. You saw the movie 20 Feet from Stardom, didn't you? Yes, I did. And you know that Lisa Fisher is a friend of mine who worked uh, as a background singer for Luther Vandross and also performed for years with the Rolling Stones. Surprise, she's going to be on next month's March Diabetes Late Night Show. She's going to be here to talk about her Grammy-nominated collaboration with Jeffrey Wright, who's an actor, and pianist Lang Lang. It's all part of our March Diabetes Late Night Show. Oh, how wonderful. I will be
3: sure to tell all of my friends to tune in. I love her.
1: Yeah, she's fantastic. All right. So uh, I can't play George Michael without talking about sex. And during (laughs) George Michael had his big hit around sex during the height of the AIDS epidemic in 1987. Some U.S. radio stations refused to play it because it's sexually explicit content. Did you know that this song was the very first pop song to have the word sex listed in the title? Here's a snippet of I Want Your Sex, which caused caused a big ruckus back in 1987 from George Michael, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and we're playing George Michael tonight on my first ever Valentine's Day party celebration. You know, tonight um, we're celebrating Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day actually is one of the most sexual days of the year. Many people have sex for the very first time, and six out of ten, unfortunately, will get a sexually transmitted infection. Find out how you could prevent the spread of STDs by visiting the Center of Disease Control and Prevention. Knowledge is power. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, And later on in the show, we'll be announcing the winner of our uh, Instant Winner Challenge with Lorraine Brooks. But right now, it's time to talk about one of the biggest loves of all, the love of food. My next guest believes people with diabetes can still enjoy food, and his website, the Decadent Diabetic, is proof. Please welcome to the show, first time ever, Chef Ward Alpere, who's living with type 2 diabetes. Hello, Chef Ward.
4: Oh, just Ward, please. Hello, how are you?
1: I mean, you're dressed in that outfit because you're going to be preparing our feast tonight, so I feel like if you're wearing the hat, I should call you Chef Ward.
4: (laughs) I think it's pretentious. I I don't think I've allowed anybody to do that. Thank you. You You can call me Max.
1: I I'm so excited to have you on the show. We've been kind of corresponding back and forth for a couple months, and you've been sharing a lot of great recipes with us through our website, divabetic.org, and on the Divabetic blog. And uh, a little bit later on, you're going to share your recipe for our Valentine's Day celebration. But um, I, wanted to, I wanted to go back a little bit and have you tell our listeners a little bit about your family experience of living with diabetes as well as your own.
4: As I discovered my dad had type 2 diabetes and ignored it, my brother had type 2 diabetes and paid attention to it, my sister had type 2 diabetes and was her eyeballs just spun in her head, um, I expected it was going to happen so that I was uh, tested more often than the average person with a doctor's.
0: And I've always
4: known that it was going to happen, or just always suspected it was going to happen. I was not surprised. I was always terrified that I would have the diagnosis. And when it came down, I wasn't a happy camper. But it's taken a couple of years before I learned not so bad. Uh, you can manage more than manage. You can live and enjoy living with diabetes if you choose to Manage it. Uh, I've got to tell you, it's very interesting, your, your theme about loving yourself. What I do every year on Valentine's Day and half of the last five is put up just a simple post that says, loving yourself is the first step in managing your diabetes. And I think not enough of us love ourselves.
1: I agree. I, I think that's a great thing. I'm going to have to steal that from you because today, earlier on on our Facebook page, I stole – something that was on your homepage that says, diabetes doesn't mean never again.
4: Right, and it doesn't.
1: And what what did that mean to you when you wrote that, diabetes doesn't mean never again?
4: When I was first diagnosed nine years ago, I was very, very good. I got little pamphlets that said you should have so many carbohydrates for breakfast, so many for lunch, so many for supper, two snacks of so many each, and what I found myself doing were eating tins of tuna with some iceberg lettuce and a slice of lemon, and that was my lunch. And basically, I was just absolutely miserable. Uh, I knew that I couldn't continue doing that, I knew that I wasn't going to be successful doing that. I needed to learn how to recreate all of the things that I've always loved in some fashion so they fit in my carbohydrate budget. And I managed to live very, very comfortably eating everything, all the comfort food. Chicken pot pie is part of my life. Is the crust different than it was 10 years ago? Sure it is. There's a little less of it. Uh, I use uh, a little Parmesan cheese to substitute for some of the flour in the crust. But I'm eating chicken pot pie that tastes as wonderful as it did 10 years ago. I'm eating all of the things. That I did ten years ago with a slight change. Some of the changes have been, you know, drastically for the better. Uh, one of the first things I learned to do is substitute toasted ground nuts for some of the flour in my dessert recipes. It not only yeah, grew, I love that. Now, what exactly
1: do you do? Because you mentioned that on your blog, and again, we should tell everyone you're known as a decadent diabetic, and you specifically talked a little bit about how people have, you know, miss the idea of having breads and desserts, and you found a little a way around that with um, using some nuts. I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that. I'm sure my listeners are too.
4: It couldn't be simpler. Uh, what I do is I substitute a third of the flour in a recipe with toasted ground nuts. What it does is adds another layer of flavor. Again, you're lowering the amount of carbohydrates. You're adding fiber, you're adding some nutrients, and you're not getting an okay product. You're actually getting a better product than I got for years before. And, and if I just thought, I mean, as a chef, if I just used what I knew and what I was taught, I would have remembered that there's a cake called the Queen of Sheba cake, which is a flourless cake, and it is made from ground toasted nuts and, of course, eggs and all the other things that go into a cake. And it's one of these wonderfully deep, intensely rich gorgeous cakes but getting the diagnosis of diabetes went chocolate is off the you know it's just off the table everything that I like is off the table and I've learned that everything I like is not off the table nuts are a great substitute for me however so wait before you go
1: on, I just want to ask when you say toasted nuts, are almonds your choice of nuts, and is that something you would get raw, and then you could put them in like your mix your vitamix or another uh, a food processor to grind them down?
4: I started with almonds simply because almond flour was on the market, and easy to come up okay uh, very expensive, but my personal preference, most of the time, I am using either walnuts or pecans. Because I okay. personally prefer the taste of walnuts and, pe- and pecans. If I'm doing anything chocolate, it's always walnut. Walnut and chocolate seem to be a marriage like tomato and basil. Walnuts and chocolate? Walnuts are fine. Walnuts and chocolate are, are just you know a really great combination together. Pecans and chocolate are also very good. The almonds and chocolate, less so. So I use that in cakes that don't involve chocolate, lemon cakes and uh well, lime-flavored cakes, uh, traditional sponge cakes, I use the almond. But you know, any nut that you particularly like, You know, I wouldn't suggest using cashews. They're very, very high in carbohydrates. Uh, but pretty much any other nut, you know, look at the carbohydrate value and the fiber content, and if you like that nut, use that nut. Lots of people, as I start to say, can't eat nuts. They have nut allergies. And for one of my readers who kept complaining about stopping the nuts, I went out and bought some sunflower seeds, toasted them, and created a cake, again, reducing the flour by a third using the toasted and ground sunflower seeds. I created one of the best cakes I have ever made. It is absolutely we're going to have to killer, send us that recipe because I just read about
1: the power of sunflower seeds, and I'd love to post that. I have a couple questions from you from the diva Betics in our Facebook group because I told everyone you were going to be on the show tonight. Can we do a couple questions sure. and then you'll and then we'll review our menu for our valentine 's Day party because I know Lorraine and Doris and Patricia are all very hungry and they they want us to get to the party so uh, but here's three questions from the divas uh, they sent them in. This one is from Darlene from Houston, Texas. Hi, Darlene. Um, can I substitute sesame oil for sesame seeds in recipes?
4: Can she, Ward? I, 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 I wouldn't choice. You're, that's, uh, the oil is a liquid. The seed is a solid. I suppose it depends on what you're doing. Uh, I tend to use sesame seeds to crust things. Obviously, sesame oil is not going to work there okay uh i don't use sesame seeds for much of anything else
1: okay and now valerie from menlo park wrote in um she was in the grocery aisle the other day what part of the scallion do i use
4: you don't use the fuzzy little things at the end uh and i tend not to use the very ends of the green but all the rest of the scallion is absolutely useful if you're looking for a lighter onion flavor, you use white part only. If you're looking for a little heavier onion flavor, you use light and the, the white and the lighter green. Uh, and the more onion flavor you want, the more of the scallion you use. I wouldn't use the very end simply because they're tough. They're like leather. Did my New York accent okay. just show? Excuse me. Did my New York accent just show with the leather?
1: <laughs> I would love it if it did I'm usually alone as uh, the only person representing the Northeast on this program but now that Lorraine No, I'm born and bred there. The area. And you're all the way out in Colorado, right?
4: Uh, New Mexico But everybody thinks New it's Mexico. Colorado, it's fine
1: Alright, well here's your last question uh, It's from Terry in Pittsburgh Hi Terry How do you know if cheese has gone bad?
4: Use your nose if it's gone bad, it <laughs>
1: smells bad. There you go, ladies. Thanks for writing in. We're going to have to have you back with more questions. But now it's time to talk about our menu for Valentine's Day. I told you I was throwing this party, uh, and I I thought you gave me some really great advice as to the ground rules of throwing my first Valentine's Day party. You said to keep it simple and think ahead. Um, what Can you expand on that a little bit before we talk about what we're actually making tonight?
4: I hate to take the the wind out of your balloons, but it's Tuesday. Uh, Most of us have worked today. Most of us are going to work tomorrow. Uh, There is no sense, I don't think, in creating a very big, very elaborate, very hard-to-put-together meal and falling asleep in your soup. So as much as you can do in advance, you should do in advance. Uh, You want to keep it light just in case. You wind up having a more romantic evening than you hoped for. You you just want to make sure that whoever is joining you in your meal will eat what you're preparing. One of the things that will really cool a romantic situation is when your guest says, "I don't eat that. I don't do mushrooms. They're funguses." And you prepare this wonderful meal of stuff with, involving mushrooms and stuffed mushrooms. And there you are sitting there looking at a plate of mushrooms. It's a Tuesday night. My, my deal on this thing is, you know, come home, throw yourself into a shower, fluff your hair, throw some perfume behind your ears, and put together your meal, cooking one item out of all the things that you're serving, having done the rest of it the day before. So Sunday and Monday, get busy. Tuesday, next Valentine's Day, just be ready to serve except for the one item that you're going to cook that's hot.
1: Okay, so what are we making tonight? I think that's great advice. So tell us a little bit about our menu and what you chose.
4: Well, All right. In, in, in this case, what I am doing is shrimps in a rumoulade sauce, because certainly even if you don't want – the best way to do shrimp is to roast it in a high temperature in the oven. If you don't want to do that, go to your stupid market, get some cooked shrimp. They're fine. Instead of doing a classic cocktail sauce, I'm doing it with a roulade sauce. It's something that I keep in my refrigerator all the time. It couldn't be simpler. It's mayonnaise, two different kinds of mustard, a little white vinegar, and it's great on the shrimp. It's a nice, lighter flavor, but you make it in advance. You make a lot of it because it's a great spread for a sandwich. It's terrific on fish. I keep a quart of it in my fridge at all times, and I just keep refreshing it. It's sort of my form of sourdough bread. I just keep adding to it as I need it. Uh, the next thing, I love lamb. Now, I get all kinds of reactions to lamb, mostly ew. It's something that I well, like. you know, I, like. I didn't used to eat that, it.
1: I started eating it about a year and a half ago, and I actually like it. But I, my first reaction would have been two years ago, that's too gamey for me to eat.
4: And the way you get rid of the gaminess with lamb are two things. You want to use a citrus. I prefer to use uh, orange zest, but you can use lemon. And garlic. It'll take all the gaminess out of your lamb. You also want to be very careful not to overcook it. It should be nice and pink in the center. So this is the one dish that you're going to actually prepare right before you eat. And it should be, you know, on a little loin lamb chop, it should be no more than three minutes on a side, five minutes in a super hot oven. And it's over. I would serve that, you know, serve that with uh, rice cauliflower, which, you know, started out as oh, I can't have rice. Let's have cauliflower. It's turned out to be one of my favorite go-to's. It it doesn't taste like rice. It's it's richer than rice, but it has the same kind of texture that rice does, and it makes me not miss rice on my plate. Uh, you can do it as an Asian style, even though there is no chinese person that actually makes fried rice in china we as americans are used to fried rice in our takeout you can make a version of it with you know doing it as a fried rice you could do it as a pilaf you can do it very very simply with just butter and it doesn't fight with your main course uh and then of course it's valentine's day it's chocolate I don't have to say any It's Valentine's Day. It's chocolate. <laughs> and we're going to do uh, a very light chocolate ricotta. Just to add a little more value to it, I'm going to take a couple of pieces of rich Italian chocolate. I use peregrina. And chop it up very, very fine into the cream so that you not only have that wonderful creamy texture on your tongue, but you also have those little pieces. I learned to do this. I'm a chef in Cannes. Uh, that's the way they serve their chocolate mousse. It is the way I've been making chocolate mousse ever since. It is the way I prepare this thing. And the truth of the matter is, Max, when all is said and done, no matter how good the shrimp and remoulade sauce is, no matter how good the lamb chops are, all of you are going to remember dessert. And this is so easy. It takes less time to make this than it does to clean up the Food processor that you make it in. It, it's absolutely a pleasure. I, I know
1: all the divas are salivating over in the green room right now, dying to get their hands on the lamb and the chocolate, and of course the shrimp. This sounds delicious, uh, Ward. Thank I, you. I heard you earlier say how you're you're watching your carbohydrate budget. So all this fits into. um I would assume this this menu is fitting into your carbohydrate budget for the day.
4: Oh God, yes. Very very easily. And I'm not going to tell you what my carbohydrate budget is, in case that's what you were fishing at, because no two people have the same carbohydrate budget. No two people should. You you know, it's trial and error. It took a while to do it. I went nuts when I first got the diagnosis and was barely eating any carbohydrates. I kept adding and adding and adding. And I just had uh, my last A1C uh, two weeks ago Normally, I range around 5.3 to 5.5, higher in the winter, less uh, in the summer, and shockingly, it was at 5.2. And that's in January. And I've maintained this for eight years, and I have not suffered in my kitchen, nor has anybody at my table ever suffered with, oh, it's a diabetes meal.
1: Well, can I just say, for the record, you're fabulous. And the one thing I love about this Valentine's (laughs) Day party is sparkling conversation. I love to play games. So decadent diabetic, meet Mr. DivaBetic. Uh, We're all raising heart health uh, questions tonight with our little game. So how many gallons of blood does your heart pump each day? Is it 800 gallons, 1,000 gallons, or is it 2,000 gallons?
4: I have a I, I Think about that, I war because we're going to
1: come back with the Charlie's Angels of Outreach and answer that question a little later on. You'll stick around and be part of our game of section of the show. What were you going to say? I will
4: indeed. I will All right, indeed.
1: Because, uh, we loved having you on the show. Coming up, if you're struggling with what to wear to for that special someone on Valentine's Day, well, guess what? My favorite vintage Fashion Diva is here to help us out, but first, here's one of my favorite hidden gems by George Michael. I discovered it this past month while preparing for tonight's podcast. It's called "A Different Corner," courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen.
2: Take me back in time, maybe I can forget. Turn a different corner and we. It's a breeze Little by little You brought me
1: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Badic. And coming up, my love of games takes center stage at my Valentine's Day celebration. But first, my next guest says that the first thing she remembered after being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes was that she had two options. She could allow it to control her life, or she could find the unbinding courage from within the tragedy, and she chose courage. Please welcome back to the show the always fabulous vintage fast fashionista, spokesmodel, author, and diabetes advocate. I'm just—I was having so much fun with Chef Ward. I'm tongue-tied right now. Um, the lovely—she's on the front page of our website today, Doris Hobbs. Hi, Doris. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm so happy to have you on the show. We've been going back and forth on Twitter for a couple of days. You've been helping us promote tonight's podcast, and I have to say thank you because this is all part of Diabetes Podcast Week, and tonight we're raising awareness and asking for people to support the Spare Rose Save a Child um, campaign.
5: So thank you. Not a problem. Not a problem. I went on the limb with that video, but I I just I had to do it. I couldn't resist. I could not resist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, you were on the show probably about six months ago, and that was right after you were diagnosed with type one diabetes, and I'm just wondering what's the journey's been like for you um since that time.
5: Oh wow, you, you know, like I always say every setback's a setup for the glamour in life. Um I actually I'm really empowered by it because and I'm quite surprised of how well I'm doing with it. And I've it's been like two and a half years now, and it's kind of funny. Cause when I first was diagnosed, um, my levels were at 11.9 and in this two years, I've gotten them down to 6.4 and I'm just, I'm really hustling. I'm really hustling. I'm being a girl boss about it and I'm not allowing it to, you know, determine or, you know, basically control my life. I control it. It doesn't control me. And that's the mindset that I have. So everything's glamorous. <laughs> Well,
1: and you're—I mean, we should tell everyone—you have a very full life because you're you're modeling regularly, you're blogging regularly, you're writing uh, other things than just your blog, and you're also talking out mm-hmm. about diabetes. So, in juggling all that, like, what what's one of your secrets for kind of uh, adding diabetes into your beauty routine?
5: Oh gosh. Um- just having a fabulous attitude, I guess, about it, because anytime I go, you know, into like a photo studio or I'm doing something for modeling or, or even I'm talking to a client that I'm going to um, promote or do a sponsorship on my um, website, it's funny, like when I start talking personal and I tell them I'm a diabetic, because sometimes they don't see that on the profile and um, they're just like, oh, and you, and I, you, a lot of diabetics probably get that. You get the sad face of, oh, And i was just like, no, it's fine. I'm living with it. I'm being, I'm glamorous. I'm doing positive things with it. It's good. And I think that's inspiring. I think when there's more diabetics out there that can basically have this, you know, um, overlook of it's okay. I'm dealing with it. It's, it's, it's working and I'm in control and they inspire others with it. I think the awareness starts to kick in and when then they start Warming up to it, like, oh, well, what do you have to do, you know, and this, and you start telling them. And I think they learn, and then, then the prevention comes, and so on. So, I mean, I think it's just, we need to educate more people on it. I think that's where it needs to start, so...
1: I agree. I think that's a fashion statement that everyone listening should hear. Now, you said, I did some research on your uh, Rich in Love (laughs) uh, fashion website, a woman's closet can foster strong relations by serving as a reminder to one's nostalgic roots and past, communicating an authenticity of its own. Your question I'm going to pose to you that you pose to your readers, what does your wardrobe say about you, Doris?
5: Oh my gosh. It's, it's an amazing style journey. I'm kind of the person where my my walk-in closet is a beautiful vintage boutique and that's how I see it. And I, my shelves, I have like my cover, my first covers, you know, framed and my first illustration from this beautiful illustrator in Japan that did for me by San Francisco Chronicle. I have certain things framed in there. I have beautiful vintage hats, but when I sit in there, it's more of a, it's, honoring the past women that I'm wearing. There's so many garments in there. And I know a lot of the women's names because if I go to an estate sale or someone donates something to me, I ask first, what's the woman's name? And I feel like I'm surrounded by so much love in my closet. And it's such, it's such an honor to be able to promote so much love and just, I don't know. It's just a really amazing creative space. I love my closet. I love what it says about me. And I think it's just, promoting self-love respect and being timeless and classic and that's just what my wardrobe says about me and i hope one day i'll be unforgettable
1: (laughs) well you are unforgettable at tonight's party because you coordinated a whole outfit which we posted on our face on our (laughs) website today tell us a little bit about the outfit you chose to wear in celebration of go red and our first ever valentine's day party
5: Well, normally, if I can't get something that's vintage, because there's a lot of um, retailers out there online, like Stop Staring, Unique Vintage. There's a lot of retailers that sell vintage-inspired garments. So I'll purchase there at times. And then, of course, the state sells in thrift shops and stuff. But tonight, I started with a fabulous dress by Bitterroot Vintage, and it's called the Conversation Starter Dress. Well, because, of course, it starts conversations. So um, the dress originally um, had a big floppy red bow on it and I've worn it in previous posts for the holidays but for Valentine's Day I thought let's remove the bow and show the little black button underneath it so then I wanted to play with that and I got some um, black beaded button um, earrings that are vintage and then of course put um, suede shoes, suede bag with it and so that's accenting the black in um, red but then of course you have to top it off with something and being a vintage girl I love my millinery so I did a leopard millinery hat And it was something I've never done before, but for Valentine's day, I thought, let's just go, let's just get crazy. Let's get crazy for love here and let's just go all out. And the thing about the look is it's such, it is a conversation starter because of course hats start conversations, but the red dress is so bold and it's, you know, we, we all need to go red and that's what we need to do. And for valent, not only for Valentine's day, but for, you know, all year long, but, um, no, I just decided to go bold with that. But remember, I only did a leopard hat. I wouldn't do a head- I wouldn't do more than that for the leopard because I would just get kind of a little too crazy.
2: <laughs>
1: well, that's interesting because I reached out to some divas on Facebook to ask some uh, fashion questions for you. I have one. It's actually from my niece, Jacqueline, in Nashville. She said, mm-hmm. um, so remember, it's Nashville. Should your bag match your <laughs> shoes? In certain cases,
5: Should you coordinate yes, bags for- to shoes? if it's leopard okay maybe if you're wearing maybe if you're wearing a black dress or something that's very neutral and the simple you might be able to get away with it but my aesthetic and what I think of timeless classic you know I personally wouldn't do it if it was leopard I mean you know you probably could if it was a black dress red bag red shoes
2: that might work
5: that just might work but just not with the leopard
1: Okay, and then my other niece, who lives right here in New York City, wanted to know, can she mix uh, gold and silver jewelry with one outfit?
5: You know, there's so many women that do that, modern-day women that do that, and to me, I don't like it. I don't like doing that. If, if I'm doing styling an outfit, I try to stay away from it, but, I mean, in some cases, it's a very contemporary, modern look, and, again, if you're wearing, like, denim in a black shirt or denim in a white shirt you could get away with that my sister does it all the time and she looks flawless so i mean yeah it depends on your aesthetic but i don't see why not
1: okay so you know on twitter today i posed a question to you doris what's your favorite Mm -hmm. your all-time favorite red dress
5: well it's funny that you asked that when i saw that i was like how does max know this like how does he know what i do for magazines and stuff because i actually finished up for the holiday a um red holiday lookbook and I had to model and write of all about red and model red dresses and stuff. So one of them was about, you know, timeless style and the, my favorite red dress. So I wrote about one of my favorite dresses would have been or is, julia roberts and when you posted the picture i was like gosh dang it he knew it julia roberts uh red silk opera dress from pretty woman's 1990 and for me in the article i talked about how the red dress uh, represented julia roberts um, character possess uh, progressing into a lady and i just feel like the the bright color the deep um, daring deep v-neck and the uh, off the shoulder sleeves elevated her character's beauty and just the white opera gloves and the jewels it was just it was flawless and I would have to say that has to be one of my favorites and of course you posted um Gone with the Wind too and that was oh my god gorgeous too but Julia Roberts it's just something about it because it tells a story with it as well.
1: I have to tell you, I'm shocked because I thought you were going to choose Audrey Hepburn from Funny Face. If you want to see those photos, everybody, I have them on Facebook and also on Twitter today. I, I, um, the other one that I personally loved was Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield. I don't think um, – is that right? Not Jane Mansfield. Jane um, – I know you're Fair talking Blanc. about. They, the sequence. Yeah, they have the
5: sequence red dresses.
1: Jane Russell, yes. I love that those, uh, those gowns. So – um, you could let us know what your favorite all-time dress is on Facebook right now or hit us up on Twitter, Doris Hobbs or Mr. Diabetic on Twitter. But now it's time to play another game because it's my
2: Valentine's um, <laughs>
1: Day party. We're having our appetizers. I hope you're, you're enjoying the Decadent Diabetic sh- um, Shrimp. I, I do love that sauce over the cocktail sauce, don't you?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want some All more right. chocolate. <laughs> That's
1: what I want. <laughs> we haven't played this game in a little while. It's called Bye Bye. Borrow Bar- or burn. Wow, I can't talk tonight. Okay, right, so I picked three featured uh, looks from the 23rd Annual Screen Actors Guild Awards from the red carpet. I'm going to give you three dresses, and then you're going to, Doris, you're going to have to decide which one you would buy for yourself, which one you would borrow or lend to a friend, and then which one you would burn with a match. Our three looks tonight were uh, – one look was by – worn by Michelle Dockery, who was Mary in Downton Abbey. We love her. She's in an Ellie Saab dress. Our second dress was Nicole Kidman. She's in a um, emerald green Gucci dress. And then the third dress, which I identified incorrectly, I can't think of this actress name. I think it's Emma Coy. She's in a... um, I can't see what the third dress was. (laughs) It's like a fabulous kind of like sheer black dress it will i think it's alexander mcqueen and she's wearing uh, jewelry by tiffany's i'm looking it up as we speak so doris what were your choices as i get the third dress because i know you saw the photo okay well,
5: yeah can i just say which one i'm going to burn right now can we just get that out of the way <laughs> if you want i think to. you know which one you i think you know which one i'm going to burn it's michelle's dress it was the funny thing about her dress was I have so many millinery hats that would actually work with that hat but just for myself I wouldn't wear that and I don't know why she did. So I'm just I'm yeah that one has to be burned. Um the well, one that it's kind I of brightly
1: ask- colored, right? We should tell everyone it's got like big stripes on it. It's very day clothes uh 60s, right?
5: Yeah, to me I thought of it as a circus tent. <laughs> I mean, See, kind of I have odd, to tell I you, was...
1: I I was going to borrow that dress and give it to <gasps> Katy Perry, who I think would be amazing oh. in that dress.
5: Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. She would rock that. She totally would. But yeah,
1: it's I... it's not Mary from Downton Abbey, ladies and gentlemen. It's much more like Austin Powers. It's kind of fabulous in its mm-hmm. own way. But I I do think it was the wrong woman in the dress. Okay, so yes, now which correct. what's your next? Which one are you going to borrow?
5: Well, funny enough, I'm going to a borrow, Nicole... <laughs> I'm gonna borrow Nicole Kidman's Gucci dress because I just think that's, like, a fun dress. I don't necessarily think that I would want to own that dress. I would just want to go, like, I'm going to Hawaii in May. So I, I see myself in Hawaii sipping a Mai Tai in that dress. I don't know Did why I you describe Paris. this dress for everyone? <laughs> it's, um, it's a long gown, of course, um, green sequences, and it has. it almost looks like she has, like, Shoulder pads in in a way, but not huge ones. But it has these big parrots on the shoulders, and that's why it just gets this Hawaii vibe or tropical vibe with it. So I think it would be fun to borrow it or to you know ha- have an evening out with it, but not to own it. To me, it's not an investment to have. No.
1: All right, I have to say something to everyone. Okay, so this dress that Nicole <laughs> Pittman is wearing is a emerald green satin beaded gown, but it has two rhin- uh, rhinestone encrusted. Parrots on either shoulder i'm burning that thing with a match
2: (gasps) are you really
1: i don't like that dress at all you wouldn't borrow i I think maybe for carnival but if you haven't seen this gown everyone's raving over it yeah i'm not a big fan of nicole kidman's either that's no surprise but i don't like this gown either all right so now what let's talk about uh, this would be the dress you would be this would be the dress you'd borrow coming up, and this is a dress I would have bought for someone.
5: Yeah, well... So tell the, us a little bit
1: about the third dress.
5: It's Valentino, right? I thought it was Valentino.
1: Yeah, it is Valentino. Thank you.
5: Yeah, yeah, so it's Valentino. To me, I just think that it has, like, a, a nostalgic look to it. It's long and flowy, sheer with the beaded flowers on it. I think there's flowers on it, yeah. And then it it just has this very elegant, charming, ladylike look to it, and it fits my aesthetic perfectly, and I don't know, I just feel like, you know, everybody knows Altina from the 1940s, so I mean, it's just, it just goes back to my nostalgic roots, and I just think it's, out of the three, that would be the one I would want to invest in, have, and blog many times over.
1: <laughs> I I thought, okay, this drink, this dress has like a sheer top going into a full uh, gown at the bottom, all black, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, and it has like a, underneath it has like a soft pink um, like little camisole, and the fashion mm-hmm. police on E! hated it. But I love it. And <gasps> I would actually give this to one of the Olsen twins. I thought it was per- – I don't know which one oh, yeah. because I can't tell them apart, but they seem <laughs> wavy enough to pull this dress off. I would not give it to Octavia Spencer, but I would gi- – I love what she wore, by the way, but this gown I would give to one of the Olsen twins.
5: Well, could you imagine it with some beautiful, like, 1940s pin curls and some bright red lips? I just think that would just be so amazing. I don't know. I just That's how I vision it.
1: Well, you're so amazing, and you're going to stick around and play a few more <laughs> games with us at our cocktail party. Please help you, yourself to some of the lovable lamb that the decadent diabetic made while well, we hear another song by our diva or dude inspiration of the month, George Michael. This was one of the biggest-selling singles in the United Kingdom chart history that never reached number one. Can you believe that, ladies and gentlemen? However, the fact is uh, that fact aside, it didn't stop George Michael's holiday song from being covered by over 400 different artists, including Taylor Swift, since its release in 1984. It's probably one of my ultimate favorite Christmas songs. It's kind of fun to play it in uh, February. Let's listen to <laughs> Last Christmas, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. Later on the show, we're going to uh, do a big diva tribute to one of our favorite divas of all time, Mary Taylor Moore. Uh, but right now, I'm going to raise awareness for our Spirit of the Rose Save a Child campaign as part of the Diabetes Podcast a week and let ask you to please donate the value of one rose to help save the life of a child living with type 1 diabetes in developing countries. The International Diabetes Federation estimates that there are almost 500,000 children under the age of 15 living with type 1 diabetes. Lack of access to insulin remains a common cause of death among these children. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. It's IDF.org. Make your donation today. Game time, ladies and gentlemen, and I only like to play games if I have this lovely diva with me. Please welcome to the show, Patricia Addy-Gentle. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Matt. Um, Thank you for being on. You know, they love you here. I mean... Double applause. (laughs) um, Thank you for enjoying uh, the Decadent Diabetics Lamb Chop. I think it's delicious myself. So... Lots going on with our favorite celebrities these days, and it's not all good news because several uh, celebrities have died of heart, had some kind of heart condition. And in the celebration of Go Red, uh, this is National Heart Month, uh, we're going to talk about a few of them, starting with George Michael. His manager said that the 43-year-old pop star died of heart failure at his home in England on Christmas Day. Then actress, writer Carrie Fisher suffered from a full cardiac arrest. And if you remember TV sitcom dad, actor Alan Thick also died recently from a ruptured aorta initially tied to heart attack. So these terms kind of fly around in different directions. I'm hoping you could give us a little confu- um, clarity on the difference between heart failure, cardiac arrest, and heart attack. Okay,
6: let's see if we can't differentiate
1: because there's
6: definitely a difference. And um, many times they are, the three are very confusing for most people. Um, Heart attack and heart failure and uh, cardiac arrest are all different. So with heart failure, usually what happens is um multiple heart attacks or heart disease can damage the organ or your heart and dealing with high blood pressure, diabetes and other kinds of conditions of the heart causes the heart to pump ineffectively even aging so if you've ever heard of an enlarged heart um the heart is a muscle and so when it's pumping over time all of the time Uh, and having difficulty in moving blood around, that muscle is exercising itself, it's enlarging. And once it gets so large, it's ineffective in the way that it pumps. And so fluid accumulates. Many times uh, when that fluid starts accumulating, a person may be short of breath, they may have labored breathing, sometimes they will gain weight and they feel bloated and puffy but that's really what heart failure is. Many uh people end up in the hospital with very extensive treatment for this condition and it it takes a while to get it under control and it, it's a lifetime of treatment because once a person has heart failure, it's actually damage to the heart and so episodes can recur.
1: And that's specifically related cured. to George Michael's death in December. Okay, so now actress, um, writer Carrie Fisher suffered a full cardiac arrest while she was flying home from London to Los Angeles around the same time as George Michael's death. What does cardiac arrest mean? Cardiac
6: arrest is when the heart stops beating. So with a cardiac arrest, it's usually triggered because blood flow to the heart is blocked. Cardiac arrest will occur when the heart is malfunctioning. Most of the time we look at that as an electrical uh, conduction of the uh, heartbeat. So something happens with the electrical wiring that will cause the heart to stop beating and it just suddenly stops. And there's a a small window of opportunity when you're able to actually help those uh, people um, to get the blood circulating again, uh, CPR, to help those, um, the, the blood recirculate and not cause death of the heart or cause problems with the brain because there is no oxygen circulating whenever the heart stops beating. So it will cause multiple organs to fail. Cardiac arrest is reversible, um, but it can become irreversible as the seconds tick away.
1: And that's different from a heart attack?
6: that's different from a heart attack. In heart attacks, normally what you see is some type of a blockage. The heart is not able to get oxygen because the arteries that carry the blood to your heart and your brain, um, all of a sudden there's a clot there, there's a disruption in the flow, um, the, the, like with Alan Thick, with the aorta rupturing, Uh, That's the kind of thing that you see whenever a heart attack occurs. Um, We call that like what he had is a dissection or tear in the artery in the wall of the aorta. And blood ends up going in different directions. It's not going directly into the heart where it should go. So you have um, bleeding on the outside of those vessels. It's not contained within the vessel where it should be. So people with diabetes or high blood pressure can tear their their aorta because of severe hypertension, uh, severe resistance in that uh, artery. So when the heart is pumping against resistance, it builds up the pressure and that's that's because of those blockages. And so dissections can occur. In rare cases, it can occur from heavy lifting, strenuous weight lifting, or from extreme emotional or physical exertion.
1: Well, thank you, Patricia, for going past the celebrity headlines and helping us educate and empower people around heart health. Now, why is it important for Diva Better to go red?
6: Very important because going red helps us to spread awareness uh, a lot of people are just not aware of the relationship between diabetes and the heart, and the heart is a very significant organ that is definitely affected by high blood sugars. So diabetic going red can raise awareness. You get questions from people wondering and asking why, um, so we can have that opportunity to give them education.
1: And the link between diabetes and heart uh, Heart attacks and heart health is an important one to mention as well.
6: Very important, very important, because high blood sugars will cause the heart to beat um, extra forcefully because of the thickness and the stickiness of the blood that's trying to flow all the way from the heart into the lower extremities and throughout the body. So when the heart has a really tough time, it's challenged in delivering blood and pumping it in all of the areas where it's vitally needed. And we need blood flow to all of our tissues. So there is a strong relationship between high blood sugars or diabetes and
1: heart disease. Well, thank you. All right, now it's time to push the table to the side, Patricia, because you know I love game time. So I'm going to invite all my guests back for a round of hot seat with a lot of questions about heart health with your help, we're gonna make we're gonna educate and empower people to go red. But first, I always have to play music at a party, ladies and gentlemen. And George Michael wrote and arranged and produced his 1987 Faith album, which sold 25 million copies worldwide. Four of those singles off the album went to number one on Billboard's Hot 100, leading to Grammy uh, uh, for the album of the year. Here's one of my favorite hits off that album called. Freedom 1990, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night. It's game time at my first ever Valentine's Day party. Lorraine, welcome back. Are you there? Thank you, Max. Great show, by the way. Or you're still around enjoying, uh, you're getting ready with our dessert. Are you ready to play a Mm -hmm. game? Yes, sir. And Doris, uh, thank you for pushing away the fur and the faux fur and the pearls. You're ready to play the game? (laughs) Yes. All right, Lorraine, we're starting with you. You're in the hot seat. True or false, your heart can live outside of your body?
3: Oh, wow. Um, True. Final answer? Final answer.
1: Patricia?
6: Lorraine is right. The heart can live outside of the body. Uh, As long as the electrical system is intact, and the heart does have its own electrical system, so it just needs oxygen to continue beating. It can live outside the heart, I mean outside of the body.
1: Love it. Doris, welcome to the hot seat. True or false, (laughs) the bigger your heart, the better.
5: Oh, gosh. I'm going to go with no. False is your final answer? answer. Yes, Patricia.
6: She is right because we just <laughs> talked about <laughs> talked about the heart being a pump and being a muscle, and as it exercises itself over time, it grows bigger and it becomes ineffective, leading to things like congestive heart failure. So that is definitely false.
1: Okay, Chef Ward, you're back up. Oh, I don't want you don't want me to call it the deck of the diabetic. You're oh no, no, it's fine. Down, there. chocolate. <laughs> Souffle, here you go. Um, how many gallons of blood does your heart pump each day? We asked you this early. Is it eight hundred gallons, one thousand gallons, or two thousand gallons?
4: Is this before or after you prick your fingers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, a diabetes twist! I love that. <laughs> uh, I, I I I I have no clue. I'll I'll go for eight hundred. Patricia.
6: The heart is really strong. It's a muscle that can pump lots of blood. So we have about 2,000, 2000 gallons each day.
1: 2,000 was the correct answer for how many gallons of blood does your heart pump each day. All right, Lorraine, you're back. Ready? Okay. When was the first successful human heart transplant? You can't Google this fast enough, people. Was it 1946, <laughs> 1967,
3: or 1978? 46,
1: 67, or 78? Correct. Transplant. Yeah. Um, the first successful human heart transplant.
3: Oh boy. That, oh, I want to say 46. Um, I remember like one during my lifetime, like 60s. I want to say oh gosh i'm going to say sixty seven
1: is that your final answer?
3: I don't want it to be, but yes That's right, Sarah.
1: Right.
6: Lorraine is really on a road tonight yes uh, nineteen sixty seven in December on exactly uh December the third in south uh Africa in Cape Town Dr christian <clears throat> Bernard. Bernard. uh-huh yeah. he transplanted a heart from a 25-year-old who had died in an accident into a 53-year-old man. And um, the the gentleman died 18 18 days later, but not from the transplant. It was from pneumonia,
1: from complications. Okay, so Doris and and Ward, here's your final question. You're going to both get a chance to answer the same question. How many chambers are in the heart? Is it two, three, or four? Doris, what's your answer? Four. That's Ward. George, <laughs> what do you think?
4: I'm sorry.
5: Okay. No, that's good. Can I say the same thing he's saying?
1: I think you can. Um, Patricia, what's the answer? The answer is four. You have two upper
6: chambers <laughs> and two lower chambers. So the answer is four.
1: All right, and, and Lorraine, before you answer, because you have the instant winner challenge question tonight. Okay. And it was how many times does your heart beat in a lifetime? Is it 2.5 million, 2.5 billion, or 2.5 trillion? We have one lucky winner who stands to win a prize packet featuring New Naturals gift basket, a sugar sweet, uh, uh, an alternative sugar uh, substitute, sugar sweetener, a uh, cabbage cheese low-fat gift low. Fat Cheese Gift Basket, and Dr. Greenfield's Diabetic Foot, Hand, and Cream Lotion. Before we play that song, you know, uh, I have to play another hidden gem by George Michael. He wrote the song about a lover who passed away from AIDS during the 1980s, uh, which really was at a time when it was heartbreaking for me. I lived in that time. Uh, Today there are 1.2 million people Living with HIV, about one in eight of them are unaware they're infected, and that's why I spend my time when I'm not working for Diabetic raising awareness uh, for HIV and AIDS, and uh, trying to find a cure for this. And uh, George Michael has always inspired me, so I'm really proud to play this song tonight. Please send me
2: someone to love. Uh. And to announce our
1: instant winner, and we'll see if she wins, thanks to Lorraine Brooks, if she could get this right. Uh, Renee Miller, I hope you're listening, because the instant winner challenge tonight was, how many times is your heart beat in a lifetime? 2.5 million, 2.5 billion, or 2.5 trillion. Lorraine, for the prize pack, going to Renee Miller tonight, what's your answer?
3: Well, first I have to find out, if I answer the question correctly, do I get the lamb chops and the shrimp with the remoulade?
2: <laughs> you could have a takeaway. <laughs> yes, I
3: do. <laughs> oh, because this is a lot of pressure. Um, <clears throat> I think a, the million one is probably not enough. That doesn't sound like enough. And the trillion one sounds like way too many, unless you live to be like 150. So I'm going to go with the the three, the middle one, the 3.5 billion.
1: Final answer. Lorraine, is she right? Lorraine is right right. (laughs) But it's
6: 2.5 billion It is the middle one Our heart beats every day (laughs) It beats every day An impressive 100,000 times And so 2.5 billion heartbeats Is the average for a lifetime
3: I'm expecting my lamb chops in tomorrow's mail (laughs) Well, thanks to Lorraine.
1: Renee Miller, you're winning a New Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic low-glycemic tooth-friendly sweeteners, a cabbage cheese basket filled with an assortment of delicious low-fat cheeses, Dr. Greenfield's diabetic foot, hand, and body lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. Thank you so much, everyone, for playing along with us tonight and our first-ever Valentine's Day Spectacular After this short break, we're going to be paying tribute to Mary Tyler Moore with a special guest. But first, let's listen to George Michael's 1987 duet with Aretha Franklin on I Knew You're Waiting For Me, which gave the Queen of Soul her first and only
2: United Kingdom number one hit, courtesy of Sony Music.
1: tribute to the late, great, amazing, diabetic Mary Tyler Moore, who not only redefined the American sitcom, but she also lobbied Congress and helped raise millions of dollars for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation where she served as the international chairman for the foundation, known, now known as the JDRF, since 1984. Here to help me celebrate the life of Mary Tyler Moore, the passionate diabetes advocate, as a diva who's been living with type 1 diabetes for over 41 years. Please welcome back to the show my special guest, Laura Laria. Hello, Laura.
0: Well, hello there. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody soon.
1: We're having a great time at the party tonight, and I'm so glad you could join us.
0: Thank you. I am wearing something red, but it isn't a dress. Sorry.
1: That's all right. Well, you know, this was quite a shock for everyone about a week and a half ago when we heard about Mary Tyler Moore's uh, passing. I mean, most of us, uh, the general public loves her so much for the Dick Van Dyke Show and the Mary Tyler Moore Show, but people with diabetes or related to someone with diabetes uh, Lover for even more reasons because of the work she did on behalf of diabetes advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit about her story as a diabetic advocate?
0: Yes. Uh, as you stated, since 1984, she pretty much strictly worked for uh, JDF, now JDRF as an advocate also for um, children with diabetes on Capitol Hill, trying to pass um, laws and really trying to put more money into finding a cure. And she was very passionate about it. She was also passionate about trying to make everybody's life with type one and type two diabetes. More in the public eye, she was really one of the first celebrities especially a woman, to open the conversation up with type 1 diabetes. And for me, why I admired her was also not only her type 1 being an actress, she's also struggled with sobriety and balancing all of that in the limelight, really without scandals in her life. I think that that was really what I remember the most. You never really read Anything she, you know, um, shameless, and she had a lot on her plate, but she chose JDRF, which I think is a wonderful organization. I have done a lot of work with them as well, walkathons in Queens, and and uh, being at some of their conferences. So, she was a woman that spoke on many levels, and like I said, balancing all of those challenges, the limelight, um, her own life with chronic illness and addiction. You know, she lived to be 80, and she was witty, graceful, beautiful, and strong. And as a woman, back uh, paving the way, and not only on TV, but in real life, to have that model, that's probably why I really, really mourn her loss. There's not a lot of people out there that really juggled all of that.
1: Well, and I did a little research, too, and um, I did some quick diva math, and she was diagnosed at the age of 33.
0: 33, you are correct.
1: Surprisingly, right around the time of the start of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yes. So can you imagine the weight of carrying your first TV show and being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and and being able to turn the world on with a smile?
0: And you have to remember that about that time I was in, that was my 84 and senior year, about then they had just come out with the meters, glucose meters. We were still testing our urine. So I was diagnosed in 76, like, remember well. And they were two minutes. You had to wait, then wipe, then close the little door. So this was trying to carry this contraption with you at the studio, um, you know, this is all new to everybody. So, add that to the mix of juggling and trying to be successful and healthy um, was a lot.
1: Well, and I, you know, I didn't mention it when I introduced you, but you do do a lot of work in addiction. You're um, a counselor in addiction. And I'm just curious yeah. because Elaine Stritch, who died, I think, a year ago or maybe two years ago, was admitted uh, honestly that she was an alcoholic. Uh, mm-hmm. and, she, and I don't know how it timed with her type 1 diabetes diagnosis. But you mentioned earlier, too, about Mary Tyler Moore. I'm just curious what your, your, your feelings are about her struggle with um, alcoholism as well as type 1 diabetes.
0: Well, uh, when I had done my research, she had an interview, um, and she had spoken about it. Apparently, she remained um, abstinent all of this time. So I've never read. I tried to look up if um, she had had any um, relapses, and really um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't read any. So perhaps I, I do know chronic illness and uh, addiction. They're doing a lot more research because people with addiction have a tendency to neglect their chronic health as well as it may um, bring chronic health uh, or chronic disease, hypertension, especially with people with um, alcoholism, type 2 diabetes. And whether you have it or whether it has brought it on, um, it's it's a difficult balance, and especially when you relapse, typically it's something that um, – People will, will neglect, and so the complications set in, complications from people with addictions on your organs and your body. So not easy, and I really do hope that you know that was one of her inspirations as well to remain abstinent was her type 1 and having that platform to be a voice.
1: And choosing to be at a time like you said, where she was really one of the first one to step out. Now, you just mentioned another thing. I want to talk to you, which was some of the complications. Uh, It's reported by her third husband that she did suffer from eye and nerve complications due to her
0: diabetes.
1: Uh, You've talked on this show before openly about your own um, eye problems. I'm just, uh, does that resonate with you as well?
0: Absolutely. You know, she she lived almost 50 years with diabetes. That's a lot and even in the '80s, what we have now modern modern medicine, is nothing what we had back then, not even um, information wise. I remember being diagnosed and the pamphlets and the diets uh, diet French uh, dressing was probably the thing that I found the most rancid, but there was nothing and or there was very it was very scarce and very basic, so um, the complications is just really gave you a short lifespan. That's really what resonated with me. You wouldn't live past 50. Her living You're 80 right. and you remember that, huh? That was like the greatest news ever. And, but for her to live 80 and have, and yes, she lost a significant amount of vision. I'm not sure if she was blind, but, um, you know, also being older, um I get elderly at that point, you know, adds, adds to... Well, you know,
1: Laura, according to a 2007 study published in the yes, Journal of Yes, I remember Science, that great there, study.
0: Mm-hmm. Re-
1: Research has analyzed data from more than 500 people with type 1 who had survived 50 years or more with the disease. Mary Tyler Moore was just short of that. And many yeah. of these people, everybody, showed remarkable few complications. So yeah. there's something about that that, you know, part of her story is what you said about living well and healthy for so many years with type 1 diabetes. You, you,
0: were you were you sourcing the DCCT? Yes. Aha, uh-huh, yes, you did. And it's it's true. Um, you know, I got my act together and uh as I you're you're on my Facebook, I just celebrated uh, last week 25 years that I stopped smoking cigarettes and drinking and um I did see a lot of uh, greatness from it, as well as saved a lot of money. <laughs>
1: now, uh, before we wrap up, just tell me what did, again. Like, what do you, what do you take away from Mary Tyler Moore? Like, how does she inspire you to live well with your diabetes health?
0: I grew up in a house in a, in a family of very strong, intelligent, independent women. And that was passed on to me, which I took hold of my diabetes, even though I was reckless, but it was my own recklessness. And what I didn't have, what I lacked was a a person, especially a woman with type one diabetes to look up to and see what she was doing. And as a former dancer as well, her grace, um, like I said, I've never really heard of scandals. She was on TV, she was funny. I, I take that she really balanced her life as best as can be, being human, being open about it, never shameless, never hid anything. I know that she did um, talk candidly about having to test multiple times and that diabetes, you know, wasn't so pretty. So I have to admire that that she was forthcoming on all of this. She didn't hide, you know, what every, all of us you know, PWDs, people with diabetes, encounter. She was human, and she tried to do it all, like you said, with a smile.
1: Well, you know, I had the opportunity to meet her twice. I met her at, oh. in Washington, D.C. at the Millennium Celebration. That was the first time I met her. I was working with Luther Vandross. She was so <laughs> delightful. She posed with pictures with all of her fans. Then when I started in diabetes advocacy, I was invited to the J J R F walk in New York City, and they asked me to go up on stage. And before I went on stage, she was backstage, and I got to meet her and say hello and thank her for all the work she had done. And also, uh, again, just tell her how much I appreciated her and and what an impact she had on my life because I think uh, she's an amazing diabetic, And I oh, and, yeah. and people want to share – their thoughts about her legacy. They could go to the marriage. House. They have a website at the JDRF called MoreForever.org. That's I was going like to share that. Yes, more. and they're and paying tribute to yes. you share your yes. memories with them and appreciate Mary on that site as well and share with other people.
0: And they're also raising funds too.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Such a big deal um, that we lost such a big advocate and oh, hero and a woman who turned the world on with her smile both on and off screen. It, it's a big deal. It's a big deal at Diva Bedek to uh, make a stand. And I don't think you have to be a celebrity to do that, ladies and gentlemen. I think you do that I every do. day. And you know how you could do it, Laura, tonight, because we're part okay. of Diva Podcast Week, you could uh, spare a rose and save a child. I
0: evening. shall. I saw that. I will. I promise.
1: All right, well, I want to thank all my guests, and especially thank you for tuning in tonight and listening to our show. Please subscribe to our DivaBetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit DivaBetic's Facebook pages and videos on Mr. DivaBetic's YouTube channel. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. And thank you for helping us celebrate Valentine's Day. You know, right before his death, George Michael told his fans on Instagram that he was in the midst of creating a documentary project called Freedom about the making of his album, Uh, Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1. I think it's something to look forward to, fans, just like me. And so we're going to close the show with one more song. It's the first song by Wham! that I heard George Michael on. Let's hear Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Have a good night.